Hello and welcome to Dragon Bites, the paediatric podcast aimed at paediatric trainees or anyone interested in child health. I'm Asim, one of the paediatric trainees here in Wales and one of the presenters for Dragon Bites. This week we have the first of our neonatology talks. Kellen Kenny, one of the presenters for Dragon Bites, is joined by Dr Elisa Smith, a consultant neonatologist at the University Hospital of Wales and an expert on hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy. We're going to start with the first half of the talk that Elisa and Kellen had together all about HIE. Anyway, let's get started. So welcome, Elisa. So we've got a very in-depth topic today to discuss. And um, so HIE, cooling, um, and the management. Um, so yes, shall we begin? Yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, welcome, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so if we um, start with, say we were an SHO on the neonatal unit, what would you say we need to know about what HIE is? Yeah, to begin so with. that is a very good starting point, I think. And obviously, it's so important to recognise that there is a problem when we're talking about HIE. And obviously, we're going to talk about cooling. It's so important to realise that there is a problem. So I think the first thing to know is what is HIE? And that stands for hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy, which means there's been some form of insult to the brain leading to encephalopathy. And that insult has been of hypoxic and ischemic origin. So there's been a lack of oxygen and blood flow going through to the baby's brain. And that's happened in that sort of perinatal period, in that period just before the baby's born, during labour uh, and the final stages of labour. That's sort of the starting point. And it's really difficult when I sat as an SHO to mm-hmm. recognise what babies these are, which babies that might be a high risk. As a neonatal SHO, you're called to many yes, deliveries. So how yeah, do we know indeed. which babies these are? Yeah, so it's those high-risk ones where you know you've already probably had a crash call and they're saying, oh, the CTG is abnormal, which could well be indicating that there's been some form of insult going on. The very well-known causes, which are a little bit more straightforward to recognise, is when there's, for example, an abruptio of the placenta. We just know that at that point, when the mum starts bleeding, all that blood is coming out, that's not going to go through to the baby anymore. So that baby's at very high risk. If there's a cord prolapse, again, a very classical situation. In those scenarios, you really want to start thinking, gosh, what is the condition of this baby when it comes out? And do I need help? I mean, hopefully in those scenarios, they've already put a whole crash call out. So you'll have your registrar there as well and maybe even the consultant because these are high-risk babies. And obviously when they're born, you can tell they're encephalopathic because they do not breathe. Um, You will have to stimulate them to get any form of tone and movement going. And sometimes even with that, they don't respond at all. So you get babies that are completely unresponsive when they're born. Obviously, that's the most severe scenario you get the ones who don't even have a heart rate and they need the full resuscitation for god knows how long until they get better and obviously at the delivery room itself you perform mm. basic nls but are there other things you can do in the delivery room to help with the management of these babies yeah i would definitely focus on your nls first of all get all of that done make sure your airway breathing and circulation are sorted Obviously, there'll come a point where you've done all of that um, and help has arrived. So you then start to think about why was this baby in such a poor condition? 
and you might get a little bit more history. So someone might show you a cord gas, for example, that shows the baby's cord gas is showing a pH of 6.8 or 6.7. You think, gosh, this baby's very acidotic. You may have even done a gas yourself as part of a resuscitation. So if you have to go for lines, you may have done a blood gas as part of that. So more information will become available. And sometimes you get enough information in delivery suite to say, I think this baby's going to need cooling. If that is the case, if you feel you've got enough information there, then you can turn the overhead heater off to sort of start passive cooling even from the delivery suite. But it's not essential. I, I really want people to just make sure, do your NLS first, get all of that sorted. If there is enough information, then we can start thinking about starting some passive cooling, but if it only happens on the neonate unit, that's absolutely fine as well. So we've managed to get the baby yep. out to the delivery yes. room and they're on the way to the neonatal unit. So what can we expect on these babies that we have recognised they um, maybe have HIE? And um, what can we think about the management now on the unit? Yeah, so now we're sort of coming towards gathering all our information and really coming down to the cooling criteria, which I think everyone's heard of, but they're quite difficult to remember. Yeah, and I must say... It's actually quite good to go back to the guideline. Every unit will have a local guideline and it should tell you what the cooling guideline, what the cooling criteria are, because they're really important and quite crucial. And you can't always remember like what was a cutoff for the pH again and things mm. like that. So we can talk through them. So you've got A, B and C criteria for cooling. And that's a sort of all the bit, bits of information that you want to assess before you make a decision to this baby warrant cooling. Um, so the A criteria are all about that condition at birth. Um, so we've already spoken about a baby that needs ongoing resuscitation. So if the resuscitation is ongoing at 10 minutes, then that is your A criteria completed. But it could also be a baby that didn't need full 10 minutes of recess, but had a cord pH or a baby gas, any baby gas in the first hour less than seven. So pH less than seven is another one. Or a base deficit more than or equal to 16, minus 16. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another one. Um, and then your APGAS score is the final one for your A criteria. So an APGAS score of five or less would also sort of tick the A criteria. But that just tells you that that baby was depressed at birth. Yes, yeah. So then the next thing you want to assess is, is this baby in front of you actually encephalopathic? So what are the neurology signs in that particular baby that you're seeing in front of you? And if you're seeing a baby that's got a normal tone and is crying, absolutely fine and sucking, rooting around... That's a normal neurology. So the baby possibly doesn't need cooling. It's the babies who have abnormal neurology. And when you assess neurology, you want to probably look at the Sarnat stages of encephalopathy. So Sarnat and Sarnat were a couple who've described babies going through different stages and phases of HIE. And they've labelled them as mild, moderate or severe um, HIE. So the mild ones are the ones who are possibly a little bit affected. And they go, for example, hyper alert. Um, so the sort of babies, yeah, the and, and they just wake up after. Exactly. So yeah, startle very yeah. quickly. Their tone sometimes a little bit increased, so they become yeah. hypertonic. Um, so yeah, quite twitchy type babies. But those are not the babies we want to include for cooling because that's the milder stages of HIE. It's a baby with moderate or severe HIE. And how you recognise those is, so rather than going hypertonic and hyperalert, they become lethargic and hypotonic. Um, their reflexes aren't there anymore. So when you put a finger in their mouth, they may bite rather than suck. Or they, they attempt to suck, but it's not a good sustained suck, for example. Their moral reflex may only be partially present or not present at all. 
that sort of your moderate type babies and then severe babies usually are virtually comatose. They do not respond at all. So they're almost the easier ones to recognise when there's absolutely no responses. So yes, babies with moderate or severe HAE that you want to include. Um, they're the ones who benefit most from would the cooling. benefit from cooling, yeah. definitely. Okay. What I have found difficult, and I know I've been fortunate yeah. to work with you now many times, Elisa, and we've done a case-based discussion yeah. on this, babies having seizures. Yes. How would you reckon? Sometimes it's bando, it's in front of you, it's yeah. tonic-clonic, but sometimes it's just that odd apnea, which is self-correcting. You put the CFM on just just because yep. you've got it there yeah. and they are having a seizure yeah indeed and it can be very subtle isn't yeah. it and like you say sometimes just a bit of poor feeding mm. even or a baby yeah who's just not been waking up for feeds and things like that and actually when you look back they were potentially seizing I think that's when it comes to C criteria for mm. cooling as well and the CFM so cerebral function monitoring will help you to have a more objective it's, it's like a monitor isn't it when we look at blood pressure you see a number in front of you and that's how cfm helps us i mean it's not 100 percent; it's not an accurate number like a blood pressure or a heart rate um, but it will help us to interpret what is going on and hopefully it will match with what we're seeing in front of you so if you've got a baby where you're suspicious of seizures and you put the cfm on and it does indeed confirm seizures it will help you to then manage that baby moving forward however the opposite does sometimes happen Mm. you put it on and it looks normal um now any test and any investigation that we do like you sometimes miss things so you may especially if you're dealing sort of moving away a bit from HAE baby with seizures you may actually want to do a full EEG then um to make sure you've not missed seizures um that abnormal movements are yeah notoriously difficult to interpret a newborn but I find that having the cerebral function monitor there it's just more objective yeah. and that's the same actually coming back to even a neurological examination like I'm telling you now mild moderate severe HA and putting them in three different boxes but when you've got that baby in front of you trying to decide is this baby hypertonic hypotonic are they a little bit floppy or a little bit lethargic oh no they're a bit more awake again it fluctuates as yeah. well. It's not that diff- that easy at all yeah. to do a neurological examination in a baby that's literally just been born in that first hour where, where often we're doing lots to it to as well. It. So it, it's not straightforward at all. So I think that's where the CFM does help us to have a more objective measure of what's going on with their brain. And it very quickly, within half an hour, you'll know if that trait shows a very suppressed brain activity, you know that this baby's probably going to benefit from cooling. Cooling. Um, so it will ha- really help you with your decision making. Okay, that's good to know. Mm. Um, and obviously, reading the CFM itself. Um, yeah, we can yeah. probably do a whole other. Uh, I think that we'll that. hold that. We'll <laughs> yes. move on to cooling. Yes. Now. Um, well, though, before we move on, I was just wondering because you brought up seizures. It's really yeah. important to think as well. Yes, we, we're talking about cooling this subject. But you want to have your differential there. It's not that all babies born in a poor condition have got HIE. So some of them don't actually need cooling if they're in the mild spectrum. But there is other differential diagnoses that are extremely important to not forget about. So yeah, seizures as a side one. And then it's thinking about the underlying reasons for seizures. So there's metabolic conditions that can present like HIE or with seizures. But sepsis, I've seen many, many babies with very severe in utero sepsis are already affected in utero and they're born in a really awful condition. They're often hypotensive and things like that, which mimics HIE. 
and it's probably if they get to that point it's probably starting to affect it when they're so septic that there's no blood flow going in their body but it's really important that we not forget about these other causes and treat them Mm. so any baby that we're considering for cooling would end up in antibiotics for that reason because early on again sometimes you don't know you need more information which will take time to come to come yeah And often take some digging in the antenatal notes. Yes, and again, you might not always have have all of that information there. Especially if it's a midwife-led care up until now, (laughs) and they wanted a pool delivery, and they've ended up on the neonatal note. Speaking from experience, obviously. (laughs) Um, So we've got, um, we've met the criteria, um, and you need at least two of the three or do you have A, B, so we and want C. A, B, and C. So okay. for the A one, you just need any of those four that we yeah. spoke about. For the B, you want to have an abnormal neurology to the point of either moderate or severe. And okay. for the C criteria, you can have a normal CFM background pattern, but with seizures. Okay. So if there's any electrical seizures there, or if any of your traces show suppressed traits with sort of low brain activity. Um, yeah, so you want to be able to tick all three, all three boxes yeah. to be yeah. able to write, yeah. we're going for it. Yeah. And obviously you've got your passive cooling and your active cooling. Mm-hmm. So passive cooling is sometimes, as you said earlier, started at the delivery yeah. room. Um, and usually we want to keep those babies as warm as possible. Yeah, when they get so it admitted. feels very it's, counterintuitive. Yeah. And then all yeah. the incubator doors are open, yeah. Yeah. the lid, lid is off. Yeah, indeed. Um, so really easy thing you can do is take the hat off. Because again, it's the first thing we've been on, isn't yeah. it, in delivery suites, hat on. So take it off um, because it will help to start cooling your brain down. And not all centres have access to active cooling. Um, so active cooling is literally, we call it servo-controlled yeah. cooling as well, which just means you feed back to the machine the baby's temperature constantly, and it's a rectal temperature, sort of a, a core temperature. So if the baby's temperature goes up a bit, the machine knows straight away, and it adapts. It starts cooling the baby down. If the baby goes a bit too cold, it just warms up straight away. So it's sort of a, this constant feedback mechanism. But you can still passively cool. So smaller, smaller units definitely won't have access to cooling equipment. Um, it's, it's sort of getting better, but I think there's smaller units are just not going to invest in it because it's a big machine that they might use once a year, so there's no point investing in it. So passive cooling can definitely be done, um, but it's not easy. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I always say, and especially to the nurses when they're doing sort of passive cooling, is make sure you monitor the temperature. So get a rectal probe in. Because you're at risk of overcooling those babies very, very rapidly uh, if you don't know how you're cooling. So, yeah, taking the hat off, turning the incubator off. Fans don't tend to work, so people like to have a fan on the baby, but actually you're at real risk of overcooling the baby. So what I often teach um, the nurses is to have the bottles of sterile water, which every unit will keep somewhere. And I usually add about room temperature because they're somewhere in the room. So they're not like particularly cold but they're probably at about 20 degrees wrap a little flannel around it and get that next to the baby so get one of like two bottles one on each side of the baby and that will really help to sort of start cooling the baby down and you can rapidly remove them if yeah. the baby gets a bit too, too cold. cold and it's just there yeah. and you can so see it. that's definitely yeah, oh, that's something good, that can be done yeah it's a good trick for yeah whenever you're on a dgh exactly. night and you're exactly waiting, waiting for, for the, the transport team, team at 3am so a really good thing that's sort of happened over the last couple of years is that most transport teams are now using active cooling, so they all carry the cooling equipment with them. So the minute the transport team arrives, the baby can go on to the active cooling. Um, so you, we're starting the process now of active cooling. Yeah. Um, is there an, a degree of hours? Is there a, is it a time? 
thing to get the baby to the desired temperature. Yeah, so, I mean, active cooling happens very quickly. The machine yeah. just does it for you, usually within half an hour or an hour, the baby's at target temperature. And the target temperature is 33 and a half degrees. So anywhere between 33 and 34 is what you want the baby to be. And you want active cooling to start, or you want cooling, but not as passive or active. You want that to start in the first six hours following the insult, which usually is birth, um, mm-hmm. because this all happened at birth. So your first six hours are really critical to do all that decision-making, to recognise that there's a problem, and to then start acting on it, to gather all your information. And that time often goes a lot quicker than you think. Mm-hmm. It does, because some babies don't have all the signs straight at birth, and they may actually stay with the mum, and then an hour later someone comes and shows you the cord gas, you know, okay, was actually worse than I thought it was. What am I going to do now? You go back to the baby and think, oh, yes, maybe they are a little bit hypotonic, maybe I shouldn't make them. And you're ready into hour two or three by the time you gather more information. From research studies, we know that so all the cooling trials that were done, so when we were first deciding is cooling a good treatment, people started doing randomised controlled trials, so comparing babies with the same condition, moderate or severe HAE, and all were term babies. Um, and one group was cooled and the other group was kept warm um, for three days. And they were all recruited in, in the first six hours. And that was extrapolated from animal work. So a lot of animal work was done before we started cooling. And because obviously you can't start these treatments straight away on babies, you have to prove that it works in animal models of um, sort of HAE. And in the animal models, they realise that the earlier you cool, the better it is. And if you wait too long, actually, it's not going to do anything. And if you wait really long, sometimes they saw that damage was worse, brain damage was worse in sort of really late cooling. But obviously, it's difficult to extrapolate that from animal work into, into babies. Humans, into yeah. babies. Um, so luckily, some work has now been done. So one of my colleagues in Bristol compared all babies that were cold. So all of them, HIE, moderate to severe, but some of them managed to reach target temperature in the first three hours. And they compared those with the babies that reached target temperature between three and six hours. So all still within six hours, how we want it. But some were very early, not to three hours, and others three to six. And those babies cooled between not to three hours had a better motor outcome okay. compared to those cooled hours slightly later. Still perfectly fine, but you can make a difference. And the sort of subtitle of that paper was called um, Time is Brain. Ah. So the earlier you call, you can make a difference. You can improve the baby's motor outcome. So, yeah, it's really important. So, yeah, for me, it's like three hours. I want you to have that baby. No pressure then. No pressure at all. No pressure at all. Within three hours, because you will make a difference. It's all about that early recognition, because if you don't recognise the problem, you're going to miss that window. Okay, I'll bear that in mind. Yes. <laughs> um, so now cooling itself, what do we need to look for in the baby? Say we're looking after a baby who's cooled overnight, because obviously once they're cooled, yeah. especially if the CFM remains abnormal, we cool them for a longer period of yeah, time. Indeed, indeed. Um, so what do we need to look out for? What are the things we need to manage? Yeah, that's quite a bit, obviously, because yeah. these babies are undergoing full intensive care for the three days that they're undergoing cooling. So it might be easy to quickly talk about all their systems, systems because yeah. that's how neonates work, yeah. isn't it? So if we start with respiratory, those babies often end up on a ventilator for various reasons, um, because they've got HIE and they, their breathing effort wasn't very good. But also often those babies, when they do breathe, so the moderate HIEs, when they are first born, are very acidotic because that's the sort of underlying problem. And you remember that if 
if you're acidotic, you start breathing a lot. You try to bring your CO2, CO2 down, down to compensate for the acidosis. So you often end up with babies with CO2 as low as 1.8, I think is the lowest one I saw, and they're just panting away. So actually what I want to do in that situation is take over that baby's breathing, calm them down a bit by giving them morphine, reducing that work of that, that sort of increased uh, respiratory rate to try. Yeah. I know I, I probably won't completely correct the acidosis. actually make it a bit worse for a couple of hours until the lactate starts to naturally fall. But I'm worried about a very low CO2 because low CO2s in the brain cause vasoconstriction of the yeah. vessels in the brain. And if you've already had a brain that's not feeling happy because it's had HIE, if you're done on top, vasoconstrict all the blood vessels, you're going to make it worse probably. So, yeah, that's one of the real things to look out for is the CO2 in the first sort of 6 to 12 hours. And the other really important thing with that is to remember temperature correction on your blood gases. Okay. Um, so if you were to just put the gas through as if the baby was at 37 degrees, the actual results will be lower than what you're seeing by a factor of 0.83. Um, so if you tell the machine, actually, this baby's temperature is and a half because I'm cooling it, it will do that correction for you. So it will give you the actual Excellent. CO2. Yeah. So it's important to double check and work out within your unit what people do, because some people don't temperature correct and just accept that it's going to be a little bit lower. But others would, and the machines are quite clever now, so I think most units would temperature correct. So tell the machine the actual baby's temperature. So that's the main thing from respiratory um, the other reason they get intubated is usually because they have seizures and um, they, they just stop fitting. Yeah, and then, yeah, they as completely well. lose their drive, yeah. isn't it? So, um, so, yeah, my, personally, I would just ventilate babies directly uh, just to take control more than anything. It's probably kinder as yeah, well. Yeah, probably you can optimise pain, That's which is another thing. thing. Yeah, <laughs> so if I've often seen babies extubated when they're cooling because they didn't need respiratory support, but then you see them lying there with sort of, Frowning, cold feet, cold I toes. Hate being cold. I know. So I feel yes. for these babies. <laughs> At thirty-three and a half, if you and me were to have a core temperature of thirty-three and a half, we'd be killing ourselves. Yeah. It's so it must be so uncomfortable. Anything sort of below once you start going below thirty-five, proper hypothermia, you feel it, and your body starts to fight it because it's desperate to try to warm itself up. So yeah, I think being able to give them enough morphine to keep them nicely sedated throughout cooling is really important. And what's difficult, I find, when I've, we've had cold, um, babies being cold mm. in the unit, so obviously their heart rates are lower. Yes. And yeah. it's that balance, oh, their heart rate is 110, which usually we're like, oh, that's okay, they're yeah. cool. But actually, no, it should be lower than, they may be it okay. It should be, yeah, yeah, indeed. So that's a really important point. So yeah, from a cardiovascular point of view and sort of heart rate, I always say try to see, like you want to aim for a heart rate less than 100 because that's what it should be. So every for every degree drop in temperature, you're probably going to drop your heart rate by about 10 or so. So you're really expecting heart rates of 80 or 90 in a cold baby, sometimes even 70. So if it's not, think, like, why is this baby's heart rate not come down? So am I not sedating them enough? Are they, like you say, in pain? Um, sometimes babies are fitting, so it mm. could be a more subtle sign of seizures. Um, so again, look at the CFM because these babies will be on a CFM machine. So yeah, double check that nothing unusual coming on there. And another reason could be because they're on inotropes. So babies on inotropes often have a higher heart rate and it's harder to get those below 100 um, just because of all the drugs that you're giving. So that is one of the things that we do see in HIE because as well as affecting the brain, it affects all the organ systems in the body. So if the heart's had an ischemic hit, it's going to not pump 
as well as it's supposed to do. So you often see hypotension then. So many of those babies end up on inotropes for a period until everything recovers again. And most organs are extremely good at recovering following HIE. It's just the brain. But once the damage is there, it's harder to recover. And that's why we do the healing treatment. And that was the first half of this talk about HIE. Thank you to Elisa and Kellen for recording that for us. Join us again next week for the second half of this talk. Thank you for listening to Dragon Bites. (laughs) 